I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Brandon Shockney. Brandon, how are you? Hi, Bill. I'm doing great. Just stuck here in the internet. Help. The World Wide Web. It's so vast. Don't worry, Brandon. We're going to get you out of there. We need to get you back home to Parker ASAP. So uh, we'll keep this short, and then we'll eject you from the internet back to real life ASAP. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. So uh, as per usual, we'll be having an interview guest on later in this podcast. I'll be talking with Sandrine Bedard-Brisson over at Tribute Games. She works as the community manager over there, and their upcoming project is Panzer Paladin. But first, Brandon, you and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Oh, yes, and I'm very uh, excited for this particular bit of screen watching, considering it's one of my... The sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time. See, that's something I'd like to ask you about because our screen watching topic this week is Back to the Future 2. Yes, Back to the Future 2, the one where they go to the future. And they got to go back to the present, really, in that one. So, Brandon, I have to admit that as a kid... I thought Back to the Future 2 was the best movie in the trilogy because it had the hoverboard. I thought it was really neat that they had like the miniature Pizza Hut pizza scene. And I was just like into all the scenes that are like kind of goofy or (laughs) corporate tie-ins. Oh, no joke. I was just about to tell you that although Back to the Future, the original, is my like one of my favorite movies of all time now, as a kid growing up, Back to the Future Part 2 was the one I liked to rewatch the most. Absolutely, because of all the cool stuff in it, right? You wanted the lace-up, uh, self-lace, like, sneakers. You wanted the, like, clothes that, like, dry themselves. Um, the the hoverboard. The, like, all, all that cool stuff. Absolutely. Like, that, that was a kid's dream, right? Like, to see all this crazy um, technology uh, that is not practical, but is still very uh, fun to look at and interesting. Yeah, the original release date of Back to the Future 2 is November 22nd, 1989. So I would have been about four, I guess we'll say four and a half at that time. Mm-hmm. Probably not uh, the most discerning viewer yet. No, yeah, I, I didn't see it until, um, you know, uh, around around the same time. I, I think my parents exposed me to Star Wars and Back to the Future around the same time. So those were both very, both very influential um, franchises for me. I mean, I loved, I loved Star Wars. I loved Indiana Jones, and I loved Back to the Future. Like, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like, those were my main uh, movies that I really enjoyed growing up. Um, and uh, I, I, Back to the Future just made me fall in love with the concept of time travel. I thought the DeLorean was the coolest car in the world. Um, and yeah, no, it's uh, part two uh, is is crazy and so much goofier and so much out there than the first one. Um, so much more like needlessly complicated than the first one. 
uh, and, and like the fact that it um, like ends on a cliffhanger, it's very much not its own movie. Whereas the first one, even though it kind of ends with them going into the events of the second movie, at least the first one feels like more of a self-contained entity. Um, but there, there is something really just super fun and breezy uh, about the part two. I'm not sure if it's an endorsement or an indictment of the film that there's a scene where Christopher Lloyd has to pull out a chalkboard and explain the plot up to that point in the film. <laughs> you know what? I, I kind of admire it. I kind of like that they are just like, okay, here we go. This is what's happening. Now we can move on and you don't have to worry about it because we had one scene where we kind of broke it all down for you and now we can just go on with the crazy like future sequences and past sequences. Like, don't worry about it. Um, don't think about it too hard or, or it all falls apart type thing. It reminds me now a little bit of in Persona 5, which I think we can spoil a little bit now where uh, your main character is appears to die, but somehow miraculously survives. And like every character has to like sit you down and explain how it actually worked that way. Right. Oh, yeah. I forgot that 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 happened in, in the game. Yeah, that's that's more towards the the end but yeah you like go around talk to everyone to be like okay i'm piecing together i guess i guess this makes sense but really who cares right as a a lot of people i feel like get um in movies and video games like that get really like bogged down by things needing to make perfect sense in these worlds and it's like these movies and these games are have so many fantastical elements that i that you kind of have to allow your um suspension of disbelief to uh you know, take over. Um, so, you, so you, I, I think this is a fun ride of a movie. Um, I still enjoy watching it to this day. Uh, you know, I, I like showing it to friends and stuff like that that haven't really, if they somehow kind of miss this franchise, I, I love um, exposing it to, to new people because it's just, it's just a super fun time. Yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit about the scene in question then? So uh, it opens up with Marty McFly entering the uh, local diner in his town. In the future, yeah, it's it's a specifically an '80s themed like cafe, right? So it's it's like a vintage diner now, or it's like, isn't it fun how it's all '80s? And to Marty, it just looks like you know, it's got the elements of uh, what he has in the present day. Exactly, yeah, and it, it's a fun mirroring of when he goes into the '50s diner in the '50s to like show again how he manages to be a fish out of water in both films yeah i mean this whole the uh, both sequels to the original back to the future are just like rhyming with the original right it's like how can we kind of recreate scenes from that people loved in the first movie and just like give them new twists um or or uh new wrinkles um and for for this one yeah it's it's this like future bent version of uh, a scene that we're familiar from the first movie so a new wrinkle for this scene is that there are a couple kids over in the background trying to dust off an old arcade machine called wild gunman i got it working my dad taught me about these it is wild gunman how do you play this thing i'll show you kid a crack shot at this. You think you have to use your hands? That's like a baby's toy. 
which in Marty's time would have been like literally brand new. Like based on the date of the film takes place, the game had come out in Japan like that week. Wow. And the, the, the crazy thing is like Marty's like an expert at it. He's so good at this game, right? He's a crack shot as he, uh, you know, um, he gets like all the enemies in one go there. But uh, yeah, no, he's he's a gamer at heart, Marty. He is. So why don't we talk a little bit about uh, like what Wild Gunman is here? Because uh, it did come out as part of the original NES US launch, but it came out in Japan back in 84, which is when I guess this film was set. So that's why it matches up. And then previously it wasn't exactly an arcade game in Japan, but there was something very similar to it that required like uh, projectors. And it was kind of like how they had those movie, the, uh, the VHS tapes in the eighties where you could like watch the video and then like shoot at things on the screen it wasn't exactly a video game but it basically was a video game yeah because i had read on uh online that for the movie they specifically built this uh like wild gunman arcade machine um because there wasn't an actual one in existence so they had to like create their own for just specifically for the movie technically it did come out in the arcades here but it was as one of those play choice 10 things where you could like put in a quarter and play an nes game on an arcade cabinet that's basically how it came out yeah because it doesn't look like there's much substance to it um when we see it in the in the movie right (laughs) it's just uh it's like three seconds of actual gameplay the funny thing is that's basically the whole game that like they didn't really like they embellished the graphics a bit for the film but pretty much the whole game is a dude walks on screen and there'll be like a time that you have to beat in terms of like how long you have to react. The dude on screen will say fire and you have to shoot the screen within the time frame. And if you do, you win. If you don't, you lose. Well, there you go. All I know is uh, young Elijah Wood is not impressed um, <laughs> by this. Uh, neither neither kid is impressed. They find it to be um, the fact that you have to like utilize uh like your hands to play the game is uh um like an affront to these these young punks hey i mean i think about how these days probably even the idea of a controller looks really strange to like a five or six year old like those kids where you know they've grown up with like an iphone or an ipad and they're all just like tapping on screens and stuff and how the stuff i use to play games probably looks old to them Right, yeah, I mean, our, the, our reality is just a much uh, less interesting version of what we see in Back to the Future Part Two. you know? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very bummed we don't have uh, hoverboards and we don't have Jaws 19 um, and all the other things that we see in this, this, these future sequences. Brandon, quick question for you. Which piece of uh, headwear do you prefer? The green hat with the bill all the way up or the yellow hat that's kind of like a visor with just like the one striped down the top of the head? Um, uh, the yellow hat, I think. <laughs> I, I Really, the one I want is um, what uh, Marty McFly, like Marty Jr. wears. That like uh, his hat that has like the pink and almost it's got like three or four different like shiny colors within it. I, I want his hat. 
That's pretty cool, too. I, I feel like at the right time, you might find it in a pop-up shop somewhere. Oh, I've, I've definitely seen it around at various, uh, like, geek stores and, like, comic book stores and stuff. And I have come very close to purchasing one for myself, but I've, I've refrained. Um, now, if they ever mass-produce, because I know they've made a few versions of the um, shoes, uh, the, the Nikes... Um, but if they ever mass produce those, uh, I will absolutely buy those as well. So I, I don't know that there's a lot else to cover about the scene itself, mm-hmm. uh, but it is kind of an interesting uh, piece of trivia, and it's a good uh, moment for establishing Marty's, again, uh, how out of place he is and how he continues to be out of place in all these films. Well, it also, I mean, it also. Uh, it's very purposeful that they chose Wild Gunman, right? Because the whole third movie takes place in the West, so it's foreshadowing his his next adventure, right? I think there is a uh, scene that's very similar to this in Back to the Future Part 3, right? Where he actually like has a gunfight uh, with a few different uh, men in part three. So I think it, it, it serves a double purpose of kind of showing him out of place in the future and also hinting at where he's headed uh, in the next movie. I hadn't even considered that. That's a great point. Well, with that in mind, then, I, th- I think we should go ahead to rate uh, this segment. And as always, just like with any video game, we're going to rate on a scale of six to ten. And we'll be looking at accuracy condescension and entertainment so for starters brandon let's talk about accuracy so if a score of six is completely inaccurate and a score of 10 is extremely accurate how would you rate the scene from back to the future 2 uh you know what i'm gonna have to um rate it a i'm gonna give it an eight right so i gotta dock it points because uh they had to build this arcade machine um themselves because the the real thing just the wild gunman like lone arcade machine didn't exist so they had to make it from from scratch basically so i got a docket points from that but like we said the actual gameplay that's pretty much what the game is you know so he he plays it out like uh uh like it is but i mean he also uh gets a perfect score without barely doing anything. So i got to give it middle of the road about an eight, I think. I'm going to go with a nine. I, I guess I was uh, feeling a little more generous just because they did select like an actual NES game. And technically it sort of ex- existed in an arcade. But yeah, it's, it's true that like there's the, the very quick shot of the display doesn't really show much. Just like they have the the character art in there and nothing else mm-hmm. and it's just flashing and then it's over so i can't be perfect i can't say it's perfect but i do think they did pretty well in going that far though in their selection mm-hmm. and then next is condescension so if you think this was not condescending at all give it a six if you think it was extremely condescending towards gamers give it a 10 um, I, I think I, uh, I think I'll give it a, uh, hmm, I, you know what, because I, I think, I think I'm going to, I, I know this is kind of lame to give it an eight again, but I think I got to give it at the middle of the road because I think it, 
it's on the fence with a lot of things, right? I mean, on the on one hand, Marty is very good at the game, and Marty is cool, and we like Marty, right? And so the fact that he's good at video games is uh, I I don't I I don't think plays to the the condescending part of it. But then uh, the kids' comments of being like, "What you have to like use your hands? That's like a baby game, right?" So it's um, it's kind of playing both sides of it. Uh, but the fact that we're, I believe, supposed to side with Marty in that of being like, "No way, it's cool that Marty's like good at this stuff." I mean, he's uh, you know he's he's like he plays guitar, but he also plays video games. Like he's. He's kind of a badass, but you know he's not an asshole. Um, you know, I, 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 so in in that regard, I think I want to give it a middle of the road and and hate again. I really like Marty McFly being a badass, but not an asshole. It's true, right? Like he's he's not hesitant to like punch the bully, right? But he's also you know like genuinely a good person um, and like wants to. Uh, do the right thing, but he like rides a skateboard, man, and a hoverboard, and he's he's cool. Um, I love Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and give it a seven, just because it was not condescending towards the idea of playing games, just the uh, the taste that the kids have for games, as opposed to Marty's, which you know, there's nothing more true to gaming than different gamers arguing over what are the real video games. <laughs> it's very true. And lastly, uh, Brandon, we're going to talk about entertainment. Uh, so give it a 6 if you found this scene completely unentertaining, and give it a 10 if you found it extremely entertaining. Well, Bill, you know uh, Back to the Future is one of my favorite franchises. I gotta give it a 10, my man. I mean, they built they built a, like a brand new arc, like arcade machine just for this scene, right? That, that doesn't really add too much to the plot beyond, like we said, foreshadowing the third movie and providing like a fun moment. Um, but they kind of went all out with it, right? Between like the, the kids, like future outfits, um, um, and, and like having this fun, uh, interaction between them and Marty. Like, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, a fun little moment, um, that just fleshes out the world, uh, that, that Marty is inhabiting at that time. So you know, I got to give it a, a solid one zero. Alrighty. Uh, I would have to go with. I would go with an eight. Like I, I found it to be fine, and maybe I just need to have more nostalgia for Back to the Future in general. Uh, I think it it does serve its purpose in the film, and it's cute. I just I didn't you know blow me away. True. I think I admire the fact that it it, it is such a quick scene too, right? Like they don't really. Uh, I feel like a lot of movies nowadays uh, to press those nostalgia buttons would really. Um, really focus on on something like that or really uh take the time on that and kind of run it into the ground and i kind of like that it it kind of breezes by you you know you have uh, this fun little moment and then we've now moved on to the next next thing well great that's uh that's our discussion of back to the future 2 for screen watching uh thank you so much for helping me with that brandon uh, right now, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, I'll be talking with Sandrine over at Tribute Games. And we are back from break here on So Many Bits. Joining me on the line right now is Sandrine Bedard-Brisson. 
Uh, Sandrine is the community manager over at Tribute Games and the social media manager with the Montreal Rebellion, a professional Overwatch team currently in the Contenders League. Sandrine, thank you so much for your time. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, so the last time we got the chat, that was back at PAX East uh, in, er, in late March, and uh, we were seeing the game Panzer Paladin. So I think that would be a good place to start this interview. I think, uh, first off, if for the listener you could give like maybe an, an elevator pitch for the game, uh, that would be great. Oh, yeah. So for anyone who hasn't seen anything about Panzer Paladin, it's so... Panzer Paladin is an action platformer and you fight against demons that are invading Earth and you have two ways to do so. So either you can uh, control like the large power armor, which is called the Paladin, or you can also control its human-sized pilot, which is inside. And uh, they're called the uh, Squire. And there's so there's mainly two gameplay types uh, for Panzer Paladin. So you can either like play as the power armor and you're going to be using the we- the melee weapons that are dropped by the giant demon invaders and like the combat is mainly sword play uh, mechanics and either you're going to block attacks or uh, you're going to be attacking high and low and there's there's a mechanic that you're going to be spending uh, a lot of your weapons. So we encourage the player to use a variety of weapons uh, by either attacking, throwing them, or use them to cast spells. And so that's basically what you can do with the strong, like larger paladin armor. And but you can also eject from that armor and play as the small squire. Uh, she can still do. S- a few things uh, like uh, she can swing across gaps uh, when you can't do it with the larger armor or well basically you can still attack enemies or recharge your armor so there's really two types of gameplay with Panzer Paladin. Let's get started by talking about Squire. Uh, first of all who is Squire? Uh, how did she get that armor? Uh, actually so uh, she is the Squire she actually has another name we don't really specify it for now it's going to be like uh, like in the backstory of the character but the the Squire uh, like is a former rescue Operation Android. Uh, she's been commissioned by like an, a human organization uh, that was like put in place to fight against the demon that have invoid, invaded Hertz. So, of course, if you have demons all around, you need help to like fight against them. Uh, the human they can't do it uh, because if they were to like take the weapons or uh, like they would be corrupted by it so uh, they commissioned uh, the squire which is an android to take control of like a larger unit uh, which is called the paladin uh, the, the paladin is bigger so he can grab the bigger swords as well let me tell you corruption is no joke i i found a can of diet coke on the ground when i was walking home from work today and i picked it up i threw it in the trash i got a i got a mild case of corruption right there <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> the one thing that really jumped out for me when I got to demo Panzer Paladin back at PAX is that there are, first of all, so many different weapons. But then second of all, there are so many different uses for the weapons. Uh, you can uh, use them to jump on enemies. You can use them to save your progress. You can break the weapons to cast magic spells. Do you know, uh, what, what is the inspiration for that game mechanic? Um, well, actually, we... We want to make like a game with a vi- like a wide variety of weapons, but 
we didn't want the players to hoard them. Like, personally, I tend to hoard everything I pick up in games, but in this game, we wanted to do something different. So, like, part of the solution is just to add mechanics that would force them to, like, to think if sacrificing a weapon would be worth, like, if it, if it would help, like, the player progress or if it, like, you should hold on to it. So, uh, but we really encourage the player to use as many swords as possible, especially for the spell. The spells are really, really nice to use. Tribute games, they have a very, I would say, well, I wouldn't just say this. I think tribute games uh, yourselves say this. You have a very specific brand uh, with your games of classic 2D action with a modern twist. Uh, when you are trying to uh, build a community for tribute, uh, what are some ways that you go and seek out people to uh, grow that community? Well, tribute games is all about nostalgia, so we really like to reference to like retro games, uh, other games that are being uh, released recently uh, that are like sequels to or older games. So we're really about nostalgia, so I like to take part of of this nostalgia by uh, like replying to anything that's been new in the industry because there's a lot of new retro thing coming out and new like sequels for older games that have been out for a long time or older movies and so so we like to like jump on, on that occasion to talk about it with our community uh, also to have like people be part of the community you know not just finding people like the key is really interaction so, uh, like, there's no community without the, the individuals that are in it. So, if you if you give people like a unique experience and not only just talk to the mass, it's it's always uh, it's, it's really better. That's what we try to do. So, if anyone's talking about our games and just like just mentioning it sometimes, and they're tagging us, not expecting the reply, we really like to reply to those people. Like, just tell them, well. We notice you, and welcome to the crew. Now, specifically with uh, Panzer Paladin, uh, like, what parts of the experience do you try and share from that? Do you talk about like, uh, like the gameplay mechanics with like the weapon breaking? Do you talk about the story or the style where it's like demons, and in like the the gameplay that we've seen so far, it's like a medieval setting? Uh, oh, like, what what do you share from that? Yeah, for now it's pretty early because it's still it's coming out. Well, in less than a year from now, but still like several months to go. So me as a community manager, I, I really want to give as much as possible, but we can't release the trailer yet. It's, it's a bit too early. So what what we can do for now, uh, I try to share gifts, uh, but not just gifts to have gifts out on the internet. What I want to do is like to have a context for that gift. So we either explain some mechanics uh, with them or we try to give life to the characters. Sometimes we, we make them talk and we have a little gift to to like to go with the, the little like the little discussion they have together. Oh, we also have like a stream on Twitch that we do uh, monthly. So every month we we do like a game dev um, update on Panzer Paladin. We try to show some sketches. Uh, we showed the demo uh, on one of our uh, on our stream. Um, and for now, there's not that many uh, new things, but we have always at least like, a few sketches extra. And the more we get closer, we're going to have more and more to show. It might be still a little early on for uh, Panzer Paladin, but have you had a really unique interaction with a fan for one of Tribute's older titles, like Mercenary Kings or Flint Hook? 
Well, we have always sometimes when we go to convention, there's a lot of people that come by and say, oh, I, I, I played all of your games, or we've played Scott Pilgrim, uh, which was one of the games uh, a lot of people at our company um, worked on. So a lot of like old-time fans, it's always nice to see. And we got some comp cosplayers too. I know that at PAX this year we got uh, Flint Hook that came by our booth and I almost missed him and I, I really wanted to see him so I was so glad that he didn't leave before I came back from my break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that, that's perfect timing then. Uh, we, uh, As I mentioned up top, we did first meet at PAX East this year in uh, 2019 March. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, for you, as part of the tribute team, uh, can you talk about, like, just a typical day at the convention? Do you mean when we, like, well, just at a convention or the day we arrive? Because every day is pretty much different. <laughs> hmm. Okay, well, let's, how about we talk about uh, the first day? Yeah, the first day. Yeah, the first day is the big one, really, so... Uh, Let's say for PAX, we, we drive from Montreal because it's, it's not that far of a drive. It's about like five and a half hours from Montreal. So we drive with our truck and we bring our, our own booth there or we sometimes go by plane. So we wake up pretty early in the morning to get at the convention and then we have to set up our booth uh, over there. And that's actually the, the day before the convention. So we set up our booth, but that's our first day as a like as a developer. But for the first day at the convention, um, well, at Tribute, we try to, we don't stay all day at the booth. We try to have like half day shifts or something like that. Uh, we do a lot of interviews. Uh, we have, uh, oh, we see a lot of uh, dev uh, friends, friends that are developers from other companies. And so and we try to grab them at their booth. Sometimes there's not, they're not there. So we don't get much sleep <laughs> because we, we wake up <laughs> that's not funny, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah but we we wake up early because we well either we we get a shift we have to be at our booth to talk to people about our game or we also want to see the convention floors so we're pretty much at the convention all day even if we basically just need to be there for four hours we still stay there all, all day and uh, the fun continues at night because we we sometimes go for dinner with a cider business dinner or just friendly dinner with other studios that we know that we don't see that we don't get to see very often so it's really around the clock until we come back <laughs> and at, at pax with uh with the Montreal game community, like there are so many companies located in Montreal. So is there like a sense of community when you go to this event? Yeah, so we, we can definitely see the people from other studio that we know. Let me see, it's like, it's like a little gathering, but just in another city, because sometimes we, we also have our local convention around here. And there's studio that are not from Montreal that are in our local convention. But when we go to PAX, it's a little bit like that. There's studios that are that are not from Montreal, but there's also studios that are from Montreal. Uh, so it's just like a gathering for <laughs> for Montreal studio. A lot of studios go there actually because it's it's the biggest video game convention that is close to Montreal. There's a lot of big ones, but that you can't drive to. So smaller studios tend to go to PAX too. I see. Okay. Let's shift gears here a little bit. Uh, because we've talked a, a little bit about, you know, tribute games and your role there. But you do have a second role that you take a part in. 
you are the social media manager of the Montreal Rebellion. And uh, I was just wondering, first of all, how did you get involved with that? Actually, I just asked. <laughs> like, some people get for granted, oh, there's a new Overwatch team there. They probably already have all their people working there. And when they announced that the Montreal Rebellion was was actually starting, I sent uh, a message through f their Facebook page right away. And they were looking for social media managers, so they 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 took me. They I had an interview with them, and they they took me basically. So it's <laughs> just telling people like, if you think you can do something, because people you just assume that people already have uh, what they need to go through. Just don't do like you don't get anything if you don't ask. So always ask if you think you you might have a chance. Just ask him. You never know what they're going to reply to you. For me, it was a yes. Now, with these two roles, uh, you are a community manager, and then you are a social media manager. Can you talk a little bit about what makes those different? Oh, so this is really tricky, actually. Well, I know the difference. Uh, not, a lot of, not a lot of people know the difference when they're not one. <laughs> so it's, it's really, it's a very new kind of job. So, like, it's easy to get the terms confused. Um, so... Just to make it uh, clear, so let's say if, if you're in a big companies like Riot or, or like Discord, um, a social media manager is actually um, the one that's going to take care of the post. Um, they're going to reply to direct inquiries on social media accounts. They're going to have to analyze numbers. So a lot of things are they're going to be the official voice of the brand, basically. Uh, as opposed to community managers, uh, they will also represent the company, but mostly elsewhere on the internet. Uh, so uh, let's say you want to reply to another company or interact with uh, players. Uh, it's mainly the community managers that are, are going to take care of this. So they're working on making the, the community active. Uh, they're working on the Discord servers. So it's, closer to the player base uh, as opposed to the official voice of the brand or something like that uh, so as mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. yeah as for me so for uh, let's start for social media manager at Montreal Rebellion uh, I only take care of the Twitter account and a bit of the Facebook account and I'm not taking care of Discord I it's just that part so that's why I'm social media manager and for tribute Actually, so the community managers in the indie game industry, uh, it's a bit different. It's not like in the big companies. Uh, you get to do a lot of things. Uh, the community managers, when you're in, a, in an indie studio or in a smaller studio, it's more of a general term, uh, which, which basically tells you that you're going to, make, to talk to media, to... Um, be a social media manager, so take care of the content of the post, you're going to uh, get the community active, you're going to do all sorts of stuff, so a lot of marketing. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to have like a like something precise, uh, but it's, it's a really great job, I really love it. Let's go into a little bit more about the differences. So with, uh, with Tribute, you know, you have the game you're trying to, to promote, which is uh, right now it's Panzer Paladin. And with the rebellion, you are trying to promote both the team, but also individual players, uh, esports athletes. Uh, what? How is that different between those two? Um, actually, so um, 
the Montreal Rebellion, which is a contender, so an academy team, um, there's a lot of roster change. So a lot of uh, change between the players and the staff. So You know, this is probably a good time to explain. Yeah, like what is a contender team and how does it relate to the Overwatch League? Yes, so the, the contender team, so Montreal Rebellion is the contender team. Uh, so it's uh, like a second tier uh, Overwatch League. Uh, so it's not the, the Overwatch League, but secondly, second tier team. Um, uh, the Montreal Rebellion is the academy of the Toronto Defiant uh, from the Overwatch League. And so we work uh, together a lot. Uh, we practice a lot uh, with the, the mother team, let's say. And a lot of the players are going either to join uh, our mother team or sometimes they're going to join other team. We've had uh, three players already that joined uh, the Toronto Defiant. So what we try to do is just ex like expose the, the players and like show them to the higher league uh, so that they can go higher in the career. And so to go back to your, to your question for like the difference between promoting a game and promoting a team, well, you have to promote the players. Um, but in the contender team, uh, since there's a lot of change, it's hard to get to to promote that much of the players on the social media. So it's not really on my end to do so. Um, but it's mainly the community that's different, that you're going to act different with. The game community, they want content. Uh, like if you if you are going to release a game, you're going to want to, well, they are going to want to have news of the game. So you want to show them as many images as possible, as many gifts as possible, uh, deliver the game as soon as you can. Uh, if, it's, uh, if it's a team, like an esports team, uh, you just want to drive the hype. Uh, let, let's say maybe with uh, the gaming, so with Tribute, I want to have get the hype going for the game, like you want people to actually want to play it, but not too much because it's, it's still a few, <laughs> a few months away, so you, you want to grab your at their attention, but not hype too much that they're like in, getting impatient. With uh, the Overwatch like a contender team, you don't need... like you. You don't need to restrain yourself. You really want to, to hype people. Uh, the community is really different. They really like to have a lot of funny stuff. So your content's gonna be more funny. You're gonna be like including a lot of memes. <laughs> they they really lo love that sort of <laughs> stuff. It doesn't really work that well with games. So sometimes including a few memes is good, but they mainly want content. They don't want to play around. <laughs> I think this is the right time uh, my friend, Shelby, who has been a frequent guest on the So Many Bits podcast as well, is a diehard Overwatch League fan. And she was hoping to ask a question, if she could. Yes, no problem. For a fan of the Overwatch League, if they want to support their team, especially in the case of the contenders where they may not get as much attention, what is the best way she or someone else could support these teams? What what you can do, of course, is always share um, the content of the social media because social media is everything nowadays. So if we have like um, uh, good plays uh, from a player that we show online, it's always good to show mainly how the players are going 
to perform. So if they want to share the clips that we share on our social media, uh, that's one of the best things you can do because maybe someone else that she knows going to share it and that person knows um, something, knows someone actually that is like an important uh, person in the in the in the industry, uh, they might see the clip, and th that's that's the way the people from second tier Overwatch can get to the the league. Actually, awesome. Okay, thank you. And uh, then I, I had my my own question because for this is mainly uh, something that we men need to do. What is the best way that we can advocate for more women to be involved in the Overwatch League? Oh, to have more women in this. It's also uh, like a matter of being seen. There's a lot of things in the league or let's say in the Overwatch World Cup where um, you have to be... Um, like, let's say the Overwatch World Cup, they were asking to to submit uh, your interest for a certain position and then people had to vote for you to get that position. So if you want to get more votes, you need to have more followers. So if you want to support women in the industry, it's it, you should follow what they're doing. So if you, you see a girl, you like what she does, as you see a woman, she like what she does, uh, just follow her and like do a signal boost uh, for anything she needs, uh, vote if you can provide reference for her. Uh, that's the way, the best way you can do. And but because um, if there was just one thing to help women get in the Overwatch League, it, I think everyone would do it, I, in my opinion. I don't think anyone doesn't want, uh, like, actually, uh, at least a few more women in the League. I hope not. I hope a lot of people want more women in the League. Uh, but if, if, the, if just the space could be more friendly for women, it would help them enter the industry. That would probably also help with women not just being players on the teams, but in running the teams as well, right? Uh, yes, of course. It's really hard for gamer girls anyway just to get in team, uh, just because of sometimes how it is it, it is made. Like if you you have a gaming house, it's not always the best for like a mixed team or to have women join the team. Uh, it's a really special uh, environment when you have a gaming house, so maybe like change uh, that way of uh, uh, in the industry. If you can just change, like not having gaming house, I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's a good start to not have just m male gamer in the industry. Well, thank you for answering those. Those are not easy questions. I think a lot of people are trying to find answers right now. Yes, exactly. So I was thinking that's that's one thing I, I think is really important is not just have gaming house and also just help women being seen in the industry. Let's let's lighten things up then for the last couple of questions here. Yeah. Uh, just in the in the style of Panzer Paladin, uh, Sandrine, if you were gifted a giant robot suit. You just, you walk outside where you live one day, there's a package there from amazon.ca and you open it up, there's a giant mech suit there. What's the first thing you would do with it? That's not something I've really prepared any time. So uh, probably what I would do, I'm not a really aggressive person, so I would probably just try to see if it can fly first. <laughs> so I, I don't know, sometimes mechs, they can fly, sometimes they can't. So I'll try to see that. And if it can't fly, probably I will just like showcase it in a convention. 
<laughs> so cosplay. Yeah, you just wear it as a cosplay. Look at that big suit. It's better than any other cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then uh, lastly, so when we last talked, I did ask you about Pokemon and uh what Pokemon you would love to have as a pet. So I don't think I can reuse that question. That wouldn't be fair. So for this one, uh, I'm going to ask you uh, a slight variation. Uh, if you could pick one Pokemon who would join the Overwatch organization, like the team with like Soldier 76 and Tracer and Mercy, and one Pokemon to be on Talon with like Widowmaker and Reaper and Sombra, who would they be? Mm, so for the Pokemon in Overwatch... I think it would be. Um, oh, there's a lot of friendly Pokemon, but I think all I can think of is Lugia, maybe because of the wing. Is it Lugia or Lugia? I never know. I don't know either. <laughs> I, I I really don't. I, I think I think you can go either way. Yeah. So so yeah. I always said Lugia. So Lugia. I think like the the wings remind me of maybe of Mercy wings, or, and it's really just. Mm, I'm trying to think of Talon at the same time, so I'm really mixed up right now. All the Talon Pokemon would be Mewtwo. So you just have two. Mewtwo. Yeah, two Pokemon that really that talks that are really intelligent. So Lugia and Mewtwo, and I don't know Mewtwo like reminds me a little bit of Moira maybe. I can see it. They they they're both. I feel like there's some of the same energy there, especially with like their their facial construction. Yeah, like or Mewtwo like, doesn't have a mouth, but <laughs> yeah, or like controlling things with their hands, or like just feeling a little bit evil, <laughs> mischievous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah, like with Talon, a lot of them, you know, they've they've had they have their reasons for doing what they do, and the same with Mewtwo. You know, Mewtwo had a had a pretty rough childhood. Yeah, I always like Mewtwo over better over Mew, actually. <laughs> Well, that's perfect then. So Lugia or Lugia for Overwatch and Mewtwo for Talon. Yep, I think that that would be it. So Sandrine, thank you so much. I think that uh, that brings this interview to a close. Uh, Before I let you go, though, if people want to get caught up on news about Tribute and Panzer Paladin, and if they want to get news about the Montreal Rebellion, or did they just want to check up on you, uh, where can they do that? Um, so yeah, if you want to follow Tribute, uh, which is my main account that I uh, take care of, is uh, Tribute. It's at Tribute Games on uh, Twitter. Uh, same for most of the platforms. If you prefer to follow us on Instagram, though, it's at Tribute underscore Games. And um, yeah, if you want to follow my personal account, it's at Frodenet. So that's pretty hard to spell, but if you want to write it somewhere, it's going to be somewhere in the podcast. (laughs) Uh, It's Frodo, like the hero from the Fellowship. N-N-E-T-T-E, is it right? Yeah, Frodo, N-N-E-T-T-E. It's it's nice. It's a nice uh, portmanteau. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Have a nice day, Will. And we are back from break. Thank you very much one more time to Sandrine over at Tribute Games for her time, uh, for chatting with me both about uh, Panzer Paladin and the Overwatch League. So that was very much appreciated. 
at this point, uh, Brandon, you and I, uh, before we end this episode, there is one more thing we have to cover. Mm. Uh, I think you're familiar with it a little bit. Uh, maybe once or twice it's come up, but uh, we're going to be doing Bill's Magic Minute. Oh, yeah, I think I'm familiar with this. Okay, well, just just in case, I want to refresh you just to make sure that you're up to oh, date. Oh, please. So for this, uh, I'm going to talk about Magic the Gathering for a random amount of time between one and 60 seconds about a topic of my choice because otherwise it would leak out into the rest of the podcast and no one would want that. It would be like Chernobyl, but less serious. That What a, what a wonderful analogy. I mean, really, com- comparing talking about magic to a nuclear disaster, like, I mean, how else could right. you do it? There's no there's, other apt there's analogy. There's no other way. I'm going to roll a 20-sided dice here uh, three times. That die just told me that I have 38 seconds oh, to talk about this week's not topic. Not enough! Which is probably not. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Mastery Tree available on MTG Arena. I actually did already talk about this on a previous episode, but because new information has come to light, I think it does deserve a revisiting. All right, I got the stopwatch ready, so let me know when to go. I'm ready. And go! The changes that have occurred to the Mastery Tree on MTG Arena are overall positive. Reducing the daily requirement for play and increasing the weekly requirement for play seems a lot more accommodating to people who are on different schedules. The idea with the daily the daily setup was certainly to make it so people would be logging in every day and ensure a healthy queue of players for people to go up against, but it's definitely not perfect for people like me who might have only two or three days a week they can log in at most. And even then, I could feel that my play pattern was changing to suit the mastery tree, which is not good. It's and not time. Healthy. I'm sorry, Bill. I hate to do it. It pains me every time to cut you off. It's okay. It's, it's what we're here to do, and I need you to do it. So thank you very much for being the executioner there. Anytime. I think it's appropriate to say stopping me from talking about magic is equivalent to an execution. So, you know, <laughs> I feel like those are an apt analogy for each other. Right. There you go. You're killing these analogies. <laughs> Brandon, thank you so much for coming on for this week. Uh, I think we'll have you back on next week so we can talk about the games we've been playing lately. Can't wait. In the meantime, though, if you want people to find you uh, in person, online, anywhere... Where can they find you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at BWE Shock. You can also find me, I just got back on Instagram. Uh, so I'm at BWE underscore Shock underscore. Or I guess Twitch. I'll, I'll throw in Twitch there too. BWE underscore Shock on Twitch. Yeah, build, build a foundation there. So when, when you go live on Twitch, people know. I know. Yeah, I know. I gotta, I gotta get back on Twitch. I've been so bad about that recently. Well, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from SoundCloud, from Simplecast, from YouTube. Uh, we're also on Spotify, streaming on Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays, usually for Magic the Gathering Online or MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Uh, lately on there, I've played, oh, uh, geez, Transistor. 
Griftlands. That game's in alpha and early access. It just came out, and we we took a look at it. Uh, Trauma Team, Spider-Man for the PS4. So, you, I mean, um, it's, it's a wide variety of games. You can also find uh, podcast listings on nerdalogs.com. Check me out there and check out a bunch of other quality podcasts. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer.